on the U.S. side, on the Western world side, I do think that U.S. regulatory stuff is holding us back right now. It's a huge deterrent for entrepreneurs and enterprises to adopt this game-changing technology. And I think that's a mistake that the U.S. is making. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Encrypted Podcast. Encrypted is the Middle East's first and largest podcast dedicated to blockchain technology and crypto assets. I'm your host, Ahmed Al-Balaghi. I'm sure everyone is seeing the news about marketplaces like Uber. And the question that is often thrown around is, will marketplaces like Uber and Airbnb decline with the advent of decentralized infrastructure? Well, I'm in San Francisco and I chat with Matthew Leo, the CEO and co-founder of Origin Protocol, which is a protocol for creating sharing economy marketplaces. As well as attempting to answer this question I just posed, me and Matt also discuss his career as a product manager during YouTube's early days, his entrepreneurship journey, and what exactly are decentralized marketplaces and how Origin is implementing them. Before we start, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Gibral.com. Gibral.com believes in a digital future and an open financial system powered by emerging technologies and is driven by a mission to redefine how companies are built, funded, and managed. Gibral.com is a blockchain-native alternative investment platform that enables investors and startups to connect in a new way to create capital formation. The platform brings access to global liquidity, transparency to investors, and reach to startups. For more details or to apply for early consideration, please visit Gibral.com. Also, I'd like to thank those who have been supporting the show. And remember, you can support us in any way possible. You can subscribe, rate, and review the show, sharing the podcast on your social media and any other way you feel like supporting. And now, on to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Encrypted. This time, I am in San Francisco. I'm in San Francisco Blockchain Week. This is awesome because a couple of months ago, I was in Berlin. A month and a half ago, I was in Shanghai and now I'm in the US, which is amazing, super blessed. And today I have an amazing gentleman with me, Matthew Leo from Origin Protocol. Say hello. Hey, everyone. I'm excited to be here on the show. Great having you on the show, Matthew. So Matthew here is a CEO and co-founder of Origin Protocol. Awesome projects in this space. Before we dive in, can you quickly introduce yourself, please? Yeah. So, hey, everyone. My name is Matthew Liu, co-founder of Origin Protocol. Really excited to be here today. So my entire career, I've been in startups. I was very, very fortunate to be an early employee at YouTube, one of the early product managers. Thereafter, Google acquired us and spent uh, several years helping build out the monetization systems at YouTube. Really, really great experience. Thereafter, was also very fortunate to be at two other startups that were also acquired, Bonobos by Walmart and Quickie by Yahoo. From there, I knew that I had to start my own thing. And I've been a serial entrepreneur ever since. For the past seven years or so, I've started multiple companies and have had a couple of successes, but also a lot of failures and a lot of great learnings. And most recently have been working on Origin Protocol. All right, I really like this. I want to know, what was the most profound memory of that whole journey that you just described? Yeah, I think probably one of the most meaningful moments for me was actually when I almost quit entrepreneurship. So a lot of times people on the outside see you know, what entrepreneurs like to project, which is you know, whatever successes that their companies are having. And most entrepreneurs you know, are taught to pitch themselves as well as their companies. But the reality is entrepreneurship is really, really hard. And there's a lot of ups, but there's also a lot of downs. Throughout my career as a serial entrepreneur, um, I've definitely faced several moments where things look really bleak, 
I felt out of gas and I really questioned whether I had what it took to keep going on. And right around early 2016, I had actually told myself that if we couldn't build something that was uh, meaningful and started developing real traction, uh, I was actually going to quit because we've been I had been working with a co-founder for over three years at this point. We'd pivoted probably seven or eight different times. We weren't paying ourselves um, either. So I went over three years without a paycheck. And at this point, this is really basically at the precipice, right? Like about to throw in the towel, but I gave myself just a little bit more time. And I'm not sure, you know, the universe was conspiring in my favor or not. But right when I was about to hit rock bottom, I was fortunate enough to start working with my current co-founder, Josh. And this is prior to Origin. We started working on a couple other projects. And when he started working with us, it was almost like we had some new blood, right? We had new enthusiasm, new ideas. And that change in the founder chemistry, as well as how we're doing things, like just slight adjustments really started changing the game. And so... Um, at this point, it was Josh, myself, and my previous co-founder, Jonathan. We just started hacking, right? And I remember I really thought that I was about to quit. I had started preparing my resume, started sending notes out to previous people I'd worked with to feel out the scene. But just as I was scraping bottom, I found this new well of energy and motivation and ambition and just like a desire to keep going that I really didn't think I had in me. So it was almost like I was at like 2% battery life. Mm-hmm. But there was this crystal clear moment in my head where I realized I could keep going. And I think entrepreneurship, a large part of it is just not giving up, right? You have to take all the rejection, whether it's from investors or early customers telling you that your product sucks, or even your friends and family that end up doubting you after some time. And rejection after rejection after rejection, if you can keep going, at some point you're going to figure it out, right? And I'm not saying that we've figured everything out here at Origin, but I've had several moments now where if you just keep persisting, then you end up figuring it out, at least in that local moment, and then you keep going and going and going. And I think that's truly what sets apart a lot of the great founders and entrepreneurs from other folks. It's, yeah, there's a lot of great ideas, there's a lot of great vision, there's great management styles, but I think grit and determination are the single most valuable thing if you're going to be an entrepreneur. Interesting. And the the idea behind, you know, people, you know, being at this 2% sort of battery left how does someone know or have you seen anyone where they've you know said okay this is enough because it's truly enough how do you know when to really draw the line because some people can really like go all out and it's probably better for them to turn in i mean have you seen those cases or or not yeah i think there's a pretty clear distinction between specific ideas as well as specific product implementations or business models versus just the general entrepreneurial spirit and drive. I think if you want to be a creator, if you want to have impact, if you want to be a little bit on the fringes and do things differently from other people, you know, versus doing like a very comfortable corporate job, for example, then that's something that you can hold on to. It could mean that you change ideas. It could mean that you take a break and then come back later with you know another attempt. But I encourage people that you know have that vision for themselves of creating new technology or new products or having impact in, in a very broad way or having you know social impact or influence to really 
dig deep and hold on to that, right? Even if you feel like you're out of steam, um, doesn't mean that you shouldn't necessarily stop or take a break or reset uh, or maybe gain some more experience and then go back to it. But I think if you have that dream, then you should go after it until you achieve it. That makes sense. I, I do get that, especially the distinction between sort of just business models and just and drive. Because those two can be can be drawn out. So, all right. So now I want to go into origin a bit and sort of dig deep a bit more about what you guys do. You guys did a private sale around a year and a bit ago and raised nearly $30 million. So really around this really big, you know, idea that you want to implement. I could see sort of this, the blockchain platform for building decentralized marketplaces right here in front of me. What does that mean? Could you explain it for us? Yeah. So here at Origin, we want to build a platform that will enable many different types of decentralized marketplaces. And our mission is to enable what we call true peer-to-peer commerce. What we want to do is enable the future versions of Airbnb or Uber or Craigslist or Fiverr, any two-sided marketplace where the buyers and sellers are these individuals. And right now they're transacting on these marketplaces. And a lot of these marketplaces have done a lot of good for the world. They made it easier for people to meet. They've set up the infrastructure for people to do business. However, we feel like there can be massive improvements. For example, a lot of these marketplaces have very large take rates. They'll take anywhere from 15% to upwards of 30 or 40%. Uber, for example, takes a 25% transaction fee and then tax on additional fees on top of that, say fee, for example. Airbnb is a little bit better, but it's, you know, transaction fees across the world, 15%, 14%, something like that. So if you can reduce these fees, then you're actually allowing buyers and sellers to meet somewhere in the middle and they're both more economically viable. Um, So that's one of the reasons we're doing what we're doing. Secondly, what we've seen with all these marketplace businesses is over time, they develop strong network effects. And that means the business is tenable and defensible, uh, but it also means they start acting like monopolies. And so recently, we've seen a plethora of tech IPOs, right? We've seen Uber do it, Lyft do it, WeWork failed, but you know they tried to do it, and Airbnb is right on the horizon. And so when this happens, the venture capitalists, the founders, the early employees, they all usually become massively wealthy. But what about the individual drivers? What about the individual hosts? What about the contractors on a Fiverr or or similar platform? They don't actually have a stake in the network. And so we believe that using blockchain as well as crypto economic incentives, we can actually allow everyone that's participating to own a stake. This means individual users that refer other users to the platform can earn a stake. Developers that are building applications can earn a stake, so on and so forth. Um, So we think that's very, very important. Thirdly, we actually believe that the world would be a better place if there's more open and more free commerce. So some of these platforms you know, are very widely used and known in the Western world, but then heavily censored in other parts of the world, right? And especially you know, in, the, in the Middle East, there's strong regulation in certain areas, right? And so we'll never say that people should break their local laws or regulations, but we do believe in free market economics. And so blockchain enables that as well. And finally, and I think this is potentially particularly relevant in certain parts of the Middle East or Southeast Asia or Africa, there are a lot of countries that actually have fairly unstable banking and financial system. So almost 2 billion people in the world are unbanked. They don't have credit cards or Apple Pay like we do in the West. They don't have WeChat Pay or Alipay like they do in East Asia, for example. Uh, And so these people don't have the same opportunities, right? And we believe that with the advent of cryptocurrencies as a global permissionless transaction medium, as well as cheap Android phones that Google is pushing out worldwide, more and more people are going to be able to be online and they're going to be able to meet each other and transfer value. 
while they still need a way to actually meet and engage in services or sell products to each other, uh, that's where Origin comes in. So we believe that we can build some of this underlying infrastructure that will enable many different types of marketplaces in many different niches across the world, especially in the emerging world, and hopefully bring about a ton of social impact in these regions. Awesome. So that is that is quite an undertaking. And for you guys now, the idea is, okay, you're, you're, you're building a platform that allows these different marketplaces to happen. First thing you said was fees, right? For me, when I sort of look at this, typically, you know, the, the first notion is that, okay, can't Airbnb or, or the rest of them just lower their fees? Or why can't they introduce these, you know, introduce these incentives, right, for, for all the people actually generating value in the network? Do you see them doing that in terms of actually competing in the sense can't they just lower their fees if that's sort of the number one dragon force? So I think at first glance, you would think, yes, you know, why doesn't Airbnb just do this? Or why don't they create the right incentives so that other people will help yeah. build out their platform? And I think the main issue is that fundamentally, at the heart of their DNA, it's not how the company is structured. And they really have no incentive to do this, right? So until we or someone else proves that this open free model where people own a stake in the network is actually a better system. Why would Airbnb do this, right? They want to keep churning out free cash flow in preparation for an IPO that can make all the stakeholders there, again, wildly wealthy. And so there's a bit of the innovator's dilemma, right? You're in the situation where things are working quite well as a status quo, and you don't really have incentive to cannibalize yourself. From our perspective, we're starting fresh, right? We have nothing really to lose. And we believe that the end goal, although it may take years to actualize this, is going to be a better system for everyone involved. And so I think we'll tirelessly work on this mission, whereas Airbnb will continue down their trajectory. It's just the path of least resistance, and it's the path where I think the existing stakeholders can profit handsomely and also just continue developing their business. And we've seen this time and time again in previous industries of the past, right? Where, for example, Microsoft had this full set of desktop software, and people were like, well, why don't they just you know, move to the cloud, right? Well, it's because they have these sales forces generating you know, enterprise sales, and they have consumer software that hundreds of millions of people were using, and it was making a ton of money for them, right? And so they would not be able to change their business model very quickly and release free cloud products. But then you see Google Docs um, did that and started taking a big chunk of Microsoft's business because they plan to monetize indirectly, right? Not through Google Docs, but just getting more consumer usage using their platforms, whether it's Gmail or Google Search, et cetera. Um, and so I think a similar analogy holds true in this case. All right, so can you talk to me a bit more about the, the incentives? So this is like what I find it actually exciting, just generally in crypto. How are you really incentivizing the people who are generating value in the network? And can you provide examples? Yeah, absolutely. So we've actually been experimenting quite a bit with this and have launched several products in this vein. So we launched Origin Rewards in April of this year. And the general idea is how can you make it easy for everyday users to earn a stake in the network and start contributing versus in other networks that we've seen, whether it's Bitcoin mining or Ethereum mining or EOS validators, it's highly, highly technical people right, that are running these nodes or mining Bitcoin, for example. So what we did was, let's reduce the complexity quite a bit. What brings value to the network? Well, if I invite someone to use the platform, I'm actually creating value for the network. If I'm actually verifying my profile and being a verified user, then that also adds trust to the system. If I'm making purchases, that's also adding value to the network. So we came up with a 
you know, huge list of different ways that people could earn rewards. And this is changing over time. And, you know, there are different campaigns that we run at different moments. But these are all very simple ways that everyday users can start earning a stake in the network. Of course, like, you know, it can't just be everyday users because we're trying to build a very sophisticated system with developers and marketplace operators and enterprises. So a second thing that we've built is called Origin Commissions. And the idea here is that we want to incentivize application developers as well as future influencers and affiliates to promote listings on behalf of sellers. And so we've created a system that allows sellers to attach a commission in the form of origin token, which is our currency, with their listing. Now, when an application developer then promotes this listing or in the future, a blogger would potentially promote this or any other type of affiliate can syndicate this across the entire web. Whenever a transaction actually completes, then whoever that affiliate is can actually collect the commission. And so think of it almost as like a you know, CPA advertising or just uh, the traditional commission model that we've seen work very, very well in the Web 2.0 world. And so this is, again, a way to incentivize developers, affiliates, influencers, bloggers um, in the future to really promote these listings and help sellers get as much coverage as possible. Thirdly, and this is still very much in R&D and experimental, we're thinking about how do we better secure the data on our network? So how do we actually you know, replicate listing data and user data, reputation data, make sure that it's valid and correct, but also in a very decentralized way, propagate this data across many different nodes. And so we're doing some research here on how can we actually run a very decentralized commerce network and create the right incentives so that a node operator, for example, can participate in the system, make sure that you know what we do is very, very resilient, has high uptime and dependability, and as a result of that, also earn their piece of the network. So when you say having stake in the network, what do you mean by that exactly? Is it sort of accumulating tokens? Is it sort of running a node? Is it a bit of both? And what does running a node actually mean? So all, all these things, like what does stake, what does having a stake in this network mean? Yeah, so fundamentally, owning a stake in the network is just having your piece, so having origin tokens. And again, they can be earned through various different means, and there's various levels of complexity. When talking about the nodes in particular, again, this is still pretty early on in the process, and this is a under, you know, R&D right now. But think of it a little bit like what IPFS is doing, right? So IPFS is trying to distribute data uh, on behalf of people that want to post this data across many computers across the world, and there's fact-checking, right? Is this the right data? Has it been corrupted? Is someone being malicious? Yes or no? And end goal with IPFS eventually is to have, you know, crypto economic incentives baked in in the form of Filecoin. What they're trying to do is very ambitious, it's very generalized, it's a very, very hard problem to solve because it's an arbitrary set of data for many different arbitrary use cases. So they have to solve a ton of different problems, right? Yeah. The way we're thinking about it is that it's more specialized, right? So if we are just trying to propagate uh, listing data or user reputation data, then that's much easier to actually get people to do that and also much easier to validate that the data is good, right? And so then the idea behind the origin token itself, so its utility derives in the fact that, okay, people get this as a reward and they could use it across the ecosystem from my understanding. So I'm sure that there have been some use cases you guys have worked on. Could you provide some examples of where a marketplace has actually emerged from, from the platform and where the token has actually been used? The best example is actually our flagship application. So we've released an application on top of our platform where we're 
freely giving out origin rewards to end users, but also allowing sellers again to promote their listings using OGN. In the very near future, we'll also allow buyers and sellers to transact with OGN. So that's the best use case and best example right now. And how are you guys then promoting other people to sort of come in and actually build a marketplace? I assume once you built your the, the, this flagship one and then probably build another one, then more and more like you sort of build and they will come, right? There'll be other developers that want to build on the marketplace. Are you guys going full force on that or sort of focusing on the flagship first? Yeah, so I would actually say it's not a build it and they will come type mentality. So what we found and also what I think we're observing across many different platforms, whether they're public blockchains or you know layer two scaling solutions is it's not actually the case where if you build the platform, uh, they will come, right? These Infrastructure plays are only going to be successful if there are application developers consuming the infrastructure, right? Or using developer APIs or SDKs. And so when we released the first version of our platform in October of last year, 2018, you know, there was some fanfare about it. We were really proud of what we accomplished. But what we also realized is, wait a minute, like you can't really build a platform without demonstrating how useful it can be. So you have to create the killer use cases yourself first. If you look at many of the platform companies in Web 2.0 world, that's how they started, right? So Facebook had killer social network that had highly engaged users before they branched out to Facebook platform. iOS, they had some custom applications. Yes, they were from third parties, but they were very highly curated in the first version of iOS before it became a much bigger platform where there were hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of developers. And so our goal in the short term is to demonstrate, you know, one or more dedicated use cases, be successful in a couple of different verticals and show that we can be successful building applications on top of our platform. And ways that we would like to differentiate from traditional infrastructure plays is, can you actually get users at a faster rate by bootstrapping the network with crypto economic incentives? Can you appeal to new types of marketplaces because it's open and free and censorship resistant? Can you unlock new opportunities in certain emerging markets? Because again, they don't have stable, highly adopted payments yet. And so in the future, if we can actually get crypto payments to be widely adopted, this is a huge advantage for us. And so again, I think we're still in the stage where we're trying to prove out you know, high usage on top of our platform. And we do have many developers and partners that we're collaborating with and engaging with, but we want to really prove to them that they can be highly, highly successful before we go really, really broad. All right. And so for me, when I look at the platform itself and how it makes sense to create the first use case or first couple of use cases across different verticals, how long do you think that would take? Because usually things like we're here in SF, it's like sort of, you know, break things move fast sort of mentality, right? Given that this is a very different industry with an open and and free sort of mindset, right? Which is also baked into the actual network. And the idea of sort of equity is not so much as important because you have tokens in this instance. Do you see a shift in A, the entrepreneur mindset and also the the business model as well and how the two will correlate with each other? Yeah, I mean, I would say that the way that we've run Origin has several distinctions between previous companies that I've tried to build, but there are also some huge overlaps, right? So I think the differences uh, you mentioned already, um, but I'll go into a little bit more detail. For one, all our code is open source. This is not how traditional startups usually operate to build equity value. But in this case, we want to be open source. We want to encourage people to build alongside us 
all over the world. And by the way, this also means that we have to take a much more distributed stance. Everything else that I've worked on is, hey, the team is in San Francisco and that's what it is, right? But here we've adopted a you know highly transparent culture. For example, all our meeting notes are out in the open. Our GitHub is free for anyone to review and or fork. And there's a huge emphasis on building a community around what you're doing. And all these things have changed the dynamics quite a bit. For example, we've had over 170 contributors to our GitHub. We have contributors that uh, hail from all different continents, right? And so we've been able to actually get people to work with us first, and we both sides can see how good the other side is before we actually hire full-time uh, engineers, for example. And so this is how we've ended up with an engineering team that has you know, uh, rockstar engineers from India, Slovenia, New Zealand, and this is not where we would normally be looking for talent. So I think this has been a huge surprise for us and a huge blessing. In terms of business model differences, you're absolutely right, right? So everything is focused on these crypto economic incentives, at least in the very short term. Now, what are the similarities? Well, for one, I actually think in the long term, there are actually some business models that are more traditional in nature. So we've seen examples in the past of open source software, whether it's Linux or MySQL, where the strength of the open source community and adoption of the open source software has then led to certain private companies that are able to monetize on top of those networks. So that's always an option for us or other companies that will hopefully be building on top of our platform, whether it's you know enterprise services or guaranteeing certain SLAs, or in our case, building things very specific for marketplaces. Maybe there are arbitration services or insurance services that are a little bit more traditional in nature, but are necessary parts of the ecosystem we're building. But most importantly, I would say in terms of similarities, I still think the same ethos holds true, which is you have to operate very quickly as a startup you have to validate or invalidate your ideas before they become too costly, both in terms of a time and monetary perspective. And ultimately, you have to build something that people want, right? All the theory around blockchain and decentralization being the next phase of the web, all this stuff is still theory, right? And so I think as a startup, we and other startups in the space really have to prove out the model. I mean, until we can get mainstream users and developers to be using our platforms, then it doesn't really matter, right? It's just an echo chamber amongst the blockchain community. And so I think what we have to really remember is like, there's no point in being just a you know, well-known or top blockchain startup, right? You want to be a impactful project for the rest of the world, right? And right now, the rest of the world doesn't really know blockchain and it really shouldn't, right? If we're actually successful, then a lot of the technology is going to be under the hood, right? No one that's using a Web 2.0 app other than, you know, people in the startup industry, developers really know, you know, what APIs are or how Amazon Web Services works, right? Most consumers are just using these apps that they love because it helps them solve real problems. And so I think that's the next phase for blockchain, which is we have to solve a lot of real problems in many different use cases all across the world. And the people that we're solving the problems for they shouldn't have to know what cryptocurrencies are or blockchain technology is. They should just be using delightful products that are easy to use that make their lives better on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. And to pick up on one thing that you've mentioned, which is emerging markets as well. Of course, like trend in emerging markets is definitely giving something that they want, which is convenient because they they always have to do things in a very inconvenient way compared to global standards. So if you were to, like, if you could choose one use case that you'd like to see that would be developed on Origin for the emerging markets, what would it be? 
This is a little bit of a cop-out answer, but I think what I'm most excited about are the unknown unknowns. So, you know, not being in the emerging markets myself right now, um, not to say that we won't spend more time physically in some of those markets later, it's really hard for me to kind of have the sense of deep user empathy that I actually want when we're solving those problems. And so to a certain extent, I think we need to actually spend more time in those emerging markets before we actually discover all those use cases. But also what we're banking on a little bit is that if we can start demonstrating value in what we're building with our network, then the broad community of developers and marketplace operators and savvy hungry entrepreneurs, they can help us identify some of those use cases and chase after them. I mean, one learning that I had at YouTube, which is really fascinating, is as we were building out the product, we were constantly surprised by what types of content were taking off and how people, creative people, hungry people all over the world. And we're starting to use the platform in new ways, producing content on their own, figuring out how to monetize it, figuring out how to get brand sponsorships, really like creating, you know, user-generated content. And then you know, this is not exactly the same situation, but if we've done our jobs in a few years, we should be seeing use cases that you or I couldn't even imagine. And that's when we'll know that we've been successful in building something that a lot of developers and our marketplace operators and users want. And that's when things can be, you know, truly, truly impactful. I think there's a tendency sometime as entrepreneurs, uh, when you have a very strong vision and a set vision that you imagine only like one viewpoint of the world. But actually what the best entrepreneurs that I've observed have been able to do is they've been able to build things and then react very quickly to real market needs. So if you ask Mark Zuckerberg, there's videos of him when he first started Facebook. He had no idea the magnitude of impact that we would have, right? Same with Jeff Bezos, right? And so over time, I think the best entrepreneurs working on the right products will discover new opportunities in conjunction with their communities and users that are far greater and potentially very difficult to imagine from our current state today. All right, perfect. I like that. Um, you're very cough out, <laughs> so don't worry about that. So one of the last things I, I want to ask before I go into sort of fire on questions is what is the one of the most important things that you learned at YouTube that has sort of shaped what you are doing today? I think working with the best people, and specifically people that are driven by a mission and by the, I guess, desire to have impact. There's a very, very big difference when you're working with world-class and very high-caliber people that are all aligned versus, you know, when you're working with people that are just kind of, you know, phoning it in, right? And I think there's a very unique culture and type of personality that thrives in that environment versus hey, I'm at you know, this large corporation or I've joined a startup just because I think it's about the IPO, right? And so I think my biggest lesson through YouTube experience is you can accomplish a lot with very few people if you are working with the right people in the right market, tackling the right problems with the uh, right product. And finding all that is the holy grail of entrepreneurship. It's very, very hard to do. I think that's where the standard should be. And I think that's the standard that we're trying to hold ourselves to right now at Origin, which is really high caliber people working on important technical problems, but also important social issues. How do we actually have impact? How do we move very quickly? And I think we're in the right market. We have you know, a fairly compelling early product, but we still haven't found 
you know, the breakout success that YouTube has found, right? And so I think we're still searching for that, but you have to have these certain prerequisites. And so I think that's a lesson that I will always hold dear as an entrepreneur for the rest of my career. And I think that, you know, for other entrepreneurs out there, the people you work with, it's absolutely the most important thing. Awesome stuff. So before I ask this question, I think I might know the answer because you guys are already building on Ethereum. If Bitcoin and Ethereum was falling off a cliff, which one do you save and why? All right. So my answer here is probably different than what you would expect, despite the fact that Origin is building on top of Ethereum. So I think the impact that Bitcoin has on society right now and the mindshare as well as the ability to drive all cryptocurrencies forward is still higher than Ethereum. And so I would definitely place my bets on Bitcoin just because it's actually found its killer use case already, right? As a store of value, people are using it. And that use case alone, when you think about institutional funds getting in or offshore banking for ultra high net worth individuals to, yes, you know, the more popular narratives of, hey, you can send cash across borders without permission. I think that's going to really drive the entire industry and it's going to allow all the rest of us to have a better chance of building successful projects and companies. Now, we're built on Ethereum right now, but in actuality, we see that Ethereum is you know, a great tool for certain things, for decentralization, uh, for security, but um, it has its shortcomings. It's very expensive. It's very slow. Users are going to run into issues when they have to you know, pay gas, which is why we think things like meta transactions are important where you have to abstract away a lot of this complexity. And our viewpoint is, you know, if Ethereum continues to evolve, then that's fantastic. But at a certain point, if it does not improve at the rates that we would expect, I think there's going to be a lot more custom infrastructure that we build, or yes, the possibility that you know five years from now, uh, we're on a different chain, right? And so my perspective is you have to build something that people want. And to build something that people want, you need to have it be performant, easy to use, all that stuff, right? And so let's find the best tools. And what is the best tool right now? May or may not be the best tool in five years or 10 years. But I do think that Bitcoin has already found its killer application uh, and can drive the industry forward for the next few years. Whereas I think Ethereum is still much more experimental and it's a little rough around the edges because what it's trying to do is such a massive undertaking, right? It's different when you're trying to build the decentralized world computer versus just digital store of value. I think Bitcoin's undertaking is way bigger because it's a mindset shift. <laughs> but no, no, that's interesting. So USA or China, who's going to win the digital race? This is a really good question. I think that the blockchain and cryptocurrency evolution is going to be a global phenomenon. And so I think everyone involved will win to a certain extent. Right now, I'm much more enthusiastic about the community aspects that Asia has to offer. And especially, you know, last week's announcement in China, it seems like there's going to be more and more activity and more and more uh, even like government sponsorship of blockchain projects in China. And we also know that South Korea is a hotbed of activity. Now, there are some cons as well uh, to Asia where it seems like there's a disproportionate amount of activity that's purely speculative versus building great technology or use cases or actually solving problems. So I think that's you know the pros and cons of Asia. On the U.S. side, on the Western world side, I do think that U.S. regulatory stuff is holding us back right now. It's a huge deterrent for entrepreneurs and enterprises to adopt this game-changing technology. And I think that's a mistake that the U.S. is making. It's, it's a little bit strange considering 
how open and receptive the U.S. has been about other technologies in the past. But I think this is going to be a major hurdle for us. That being said, I do think that San Francisco continues to have many of the best entrepreneurs and startups in the world. And there's a lot of really interesting technology being built here. From talking to Asian investors, community members, partners, there's still a lot of respect for the, I guess, like the cream of the crop projects that are coming out of the United States. And so from Origin's perspective, we're going to try to take whatever arbitrage that we can, right? Because there's a hotbed of activity in Asia, we want to have a strong presence there. And we have full-time people in China and Korea right now. And I think a lot of potential real-world use cases may come out of Southeast Asia, for example. But we also want to leverage some of the assets that we have being a San Francisco company. So uh, having world-class, renowned investors from the traditional venture side, having best practices of how to build startups from Silicon Valley, having access to some of the best talent is, I think, very, very important. So in a way, we're trying to build this project across multiple regions of the world and take the best that each has to offer us. Awesome stuff. So for those who are still listening, Origin are throwing like an office party. So if, they, if you hear some music in the background, I guess they're just starting in a bit. So we don't want to hold Matthew back as well. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing what you guys are doing. It's really cool. And yeah, if somebody wants to get in contact, how can they get in contact with you? Yeah. So if, if there's a you know personal inquiry of some sorts, uh, feel free to just email us at info at originprotocol.com and then call attention to me personally. And then I can review any type of inquiry you might have. If you're a developer that's interested in either working with us full time or as a potential partner, we encourage you to check out our GitHub github.com slash origin protocol. We also have a very active Discord channel, which is where we do all our collaborative work. So originprotocol.com slash Discord. That's where you'll be able to directly interface with myself, our engineers, our product designer, as well as our community team. It's the best way to get involved with us if you're interested in working alongside us in some shape or fashion. Thanks so much for having me. Really enjoyed the conversation. Look forward to spending more time together. Look forward to you know spending time in the Middle East and figuring out how we can have maximum impact with the technology and the products that we're building. Cool. Thanks a lot, Matt.